and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller, and as you know, I serve as the weekly host and interviewer of On Leadership, which is now the world's fastest growing and largest weekly podcast dedicated to the topic of leadership. Now, each week, as you know, we invite a different guest to come on. Sometimes they're here live in the studio. Other days, they're actually coming to us from somewhere around the world, usually on a book tour. And occasionally, we invite the same guest back because their topic has been so well received by the millions of listeners and viewers to the podcast worldwide. And today is just that, that day. We have Chris McChesney back joining us, who is Franklin Covey's key thought leader on our execution practice and the lead author of the number one Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. Chris McChesney, welcome back. Right on. Hey, nice Scott. to see you again. Thank you so much. I think this might be your fourth cameo. I love it. Yes. There needs to be a club. They're like four timers club like they do yeah, for Saturday Night Live. Careful there. Uh, <laughs> new set? Like it? Yeah. Digging it. You got a place to honor right behind you somewhere as well uh, too. I know. Yeah. I know. I think you've probably read the vast majority of our books oh, on set, I right? Oh, I wish I had. I don't know. Oh, I, I, there are many. There a lot are, of them yeah, sure yeah, inspire you've got, you. You've got a lot that I have not seen. Well, yet. you're a lifelong yep. reader, and I'm excited to have you back on. The book has sold nearly six hundred thousand copies worldwide. How many languages do you know? Is it printed in? Uh, Fourteen. Congratulations, man. Yeah. You are crisscrossing the world on a plane. If you want to uh, have some excitement and live vicariously, just connect to you on LinkedIn or Facebook. That's it's fun to see you nice. everywhere around the world. You're keynoting almost full time now, right? You're yeah. thinking, you're writing, you're consulting, but really you're just out keynoting conferences, associations, working with executive teams and CEOs on building a culture of execution. Today's conversation, we're going to twist a little bit. When you were here last, we talked a lot about what prevents leaders from executing? Right. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the role that execution plays in engagement. Yeah. Before we do that, I want to do a cursory review of the four disciplines for those who have yet to read the book and are perhaps downloading it right now on Amazon. Let's just do a quick uh, uh, role play, if you will, okay. on each of the four disciplines. I'll pitch it to you and you give me your best um, uh, lead author explanation. Okay. Discipline one, focus on the wildly important. Yeah, this is, this is the discipline of taking that one thing in your life, right, away from everything that has to be sustained and maintained. Taking one thing in your life, really narrowing the focus. We call it a wildly important goal or a wig, and putting it in the form of a target with a starting line, a finish line, and a deadline. Yeah. And there's implications for doing that at the team level, for doing that at the organizational level. But the ability to separate everything in my life that I have to sustain from the critical area where I need a breakthrough is really the first step in the execution process. That's discipline one. Thank you, Chris. You've been in the firm for 30, almost 30 years. You were uh, 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 ingenue, if you will. You were an understudy of Dr. Stephen R. Covey. You've been uh, around all of our thought leadership for a better part of 30 years. Did Jim Collins and his work and good to great and BHAGs influence this at all? Wow, that's a good question. You know, we get that. And, and we, um, I say we, those of us that were involved in this work early on were real followers of Jim Collins. Not just good to great, but also built to last. Right, so right. I think definitely, at least at a subliminal level. Now, what he's talking about with a BHAG is kind of over the horizon, right. you know, long term. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and really stretching. I think we would, we would provide our targets are more sort of on the way to getting yeah. there. I think they have a different yeah. purpose, but that that whole directional intensity yeah. definitely was influenced by right. Collins. Great, thank you. Uh, discipline two, yep. act on the lead measures. All right. Once someone has a target, once those targets are broken down to the team level where they can really be affected, 
The second discipline act on the lead measure is all about leverage. Is there something we can influence? Can we get our hands on something that will move the outcome? The universal example of this is weight loss. If weight loss is the target, if it's the goal, the levers, people know this, they're, they're you know, calories uh, you know, burned and, and, and a reduction in calories consumed. Those are things that I can directly influence and they have an output. And so I think the popularity of this book and this work really revolves around people's struggle to crack the code on lead measures and their ability and their desire to create a winnable game. So the second discipline is all about how you find those elements, right, that you can get your hands on that also influence and how to set up a winnable game. Was your passion around that discipline based on too often people are focused on lag measures? Yeah. And, and uh, particularly growing up in, in sales and, and growing up in, 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 in you know, that business development side of the Franklin Covey universe and this intensity on lag measures and bringing in the numbers instead of really looking at what's causal. And, and are we yeah. really putting our energy against those things that are going to make a yeah. difference? Absolutely. Nicely said. You're still recovering, recovering from me calling you Dr. Kevin's Ajanu, aren't you? <laughs> I'm going to. I got I got homework. I got something. I might to, have well used I got to look wrong. that up. <laughs> discipline three. Is that the same as lobby? Careful. Is that lobby boy? Is that Careful. what that is? Careful. No. Discipline three. Keep a compelling scoreboard. Yeah. All right. So the, the best way to think about this is sort of that whole notion of going live. When something, are we live? Has it gone live yet? Like there's a difference between talking about this lead measure will move that lag measure. There's a big difference between that and it's on. We just went live. Like it's, you know, the gun went off. Yeah. And scoreboards have this ability, particularly if you do them right, of with human beings, that's what this is about, of really throwing the game on switch. And we know human beings, um, they play differently when they're keeping score. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's We're being watched. Yeah, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that transparency is a big part of it. What do you think has been, we're going to get into this idea around engagement. What yeah. has been the biggest aha? Nearly 10 years since you and your authors wrote the book, tens of thousands of client engagements all around the world. What's the first biggest aha you'd share with today's watchers and listeners? That the principles, the natural laws that are necessary to drive execution are the identical set of natural laws necessary to drive engagement. Mm. And that was nowhere in our mind. That, that was the furthest thing from what we were thinking about or looking at. And, and it shouldn't have been, but it was. And we had to see it happen by accident many times before we started to recognize, because it didn't happen right away. It was this after byproduct. And that has been the most kind of a, a purview into what motivates individuals and, and kind of into human nature. It's, there's a really amazing connection between good execution and human engagement. So let's talk about that. Our topic last time was kind of the, I think it was the five reasons why leaders don't execute. Today's theme is all around uh, the connection between execution and engagement. Tell us yeah. what you've learned by accident or you know, through discovery. We didn't know what we were looking at. We thought maybe it was, it was it was sort of one-off, but it kept happening. And, and I think maybe the reason we missed the, the, the engagement reaction was because it didn't happen right away. So what happens in, in the four disciplines methodology is that teams take big goals and they, they don't plan their way to success. They break those goals down into sub-goals down at the team levels where the teams are then creating little strategic bets right. around what they can drive and if it'll move that 
wildly important goal and then well that wildly important goal move the big one and 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 so there's all of this work that's done that doesn't look human at all it's very it's very focused on the business and so and all we're looking at is will this predict that and can we get through the wall on this results but in order to do it we have to ask we can't tell and so we're not micromanaging in the process in order to get the results you have to engage the people that are doing the work we, we, weren't engage, we weren't engaging them to create engagement, yeah, right. right? We were just trying to get the result. And it was logical, and they'd come along um, better than we expected. But you, again, you're not seeing a huge pop in engagement. Later, we'd go back, and when somebody just blew up the results, we'd always want to shoot a video. And we started to notice that whenever we put the camera on someone, instead of talking about the results, they would always talk about the engagement. They've been, they've been able to create results before in different ways. And they would eventually talk about the results and what they'd achieved and what had driven what. But the first thing, and you, you start to look at these videos and you start to see this theme. They don't want to, they don't want to talk about the results. Mm. They want to talk about the engagement. And that's not even what we were trying to do. And so the more we looked at it, we started to recognize, oh, some other people have been able to put language and really understand why we're getting the reaction we're getting. Which is intriguing because at Franklin Covey, one of our many points of view on leaders and culture is that leaders don't create engagement. Right. Leaders, in fact, create the conditions for people to choose their own level of engagement, right. high or low. It's a subtle nuance, yeah. but it's an important point. What does that learning discovery tell you about human nature? Yeah, it's a, it's a pull, it's not a push. And, and, and one of the things that we've learned is you don't have to pull, and you shouldn't, as a leader, pull on everything. This is not, I, I, we don't mean this, and we don't intend this as a blanket statement. For instance, there's lots of money and resources that have to be allocated. There are decisions made around core work processes and structure and compensation. There's a lot of things, nobody gets a vote in that stuff. Right. Right, there, there's, there's all sorts of things that the front line doesn't get a say in, and it would be pandemonium if they did. But what we've learned with the disciplines is you have to create a place, somebody called it a sandbox the other day. I, I like that, right? There's got to be a place, and normally that place is actually around the hardest thing that the team has to do. So you got, you know, you got all your investments and all right. your changes, right. and you've got your day job and all the things that have to be done every day, and there's a lot of compliance that goes on on both those wings. But in the middle, around something that's really going to require a breakthrough, right? that's where we were able to create this space and again we were doing it to create the breakthrough we weren't doing it to drive engagement but in order to create the breakthrough we had to ask them what are the most predictive indicators we had to have them test and trial and own the process out of necessity and the moment that you see it the moment that it starts to happen is when the leading indicator first starts to move the lagging indicator and i think the brain interprets that as it's working some momentum. Yeah, the, the, the things we picked, the bet we made. It's We're now moving something we had always believed we couldn't move before. And now we're getting traction. And it, 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 again, you have to see this. People that, that, that the organization thought were not involved or concerned at all with the business are now intensely focused on a result. Chris, I don't know of an organization not interested in, focused on, or working on employee engagement. But I think very few of them are seeing execution and winning as a connection. What advice would you give organizations that are trying to solve that, that are focused yes. on it, to make kind of walk across that bridge? Such a great question, Scott. 
and we've seen this same thing too. The, a majority of work that's being, being done in the area of, edu- of engagement is blurring with turnover, and they're not the same thing. In other words, the things you do to drive, excuse me, the things you do to reduce turnover, believe it or not, are not the same things you do to drive engagement. They're two separate lists, and I'm not making this up. You know, part, as we started down this road, we ran into the work that Frederick Hertzberg had done in the 60s, and some of the listeners will know that name. If you've ever taken a class in organizational behavior, they like to talk about him. And he had some research in the 60s that is so critical to this topic, and everybody seems to have forgotten. And that is that the things that drive turnover, do I have, I mean, Gallup's done a great job of it. Do I have a best friend at work, right? My relationship with my boss, like all the things we think about, you know, uh, and, and basic things, my benefits package. I mean, all the places we go when we think, oh, how engaged are our people? It's very easy to start leaning towards what are we giving them? B.J. Walker said it best. Describe who B.J. Walker is to our listeners. Yeah, she is, um, right now, she's, she's running um, uh, the Florida's Department of Family and, and Children's Services. She was doing it in Georgia, Georgia right. right, where she, using the four disciplines, reduced... Um, repeat cases of child maltreatment, child abuse, by 60%. It's it's maybe the most important result Franklin Covey's ever been associated with. Using the execution methodology from Franklin Covey. And and, um, any of the the Franklin Covey client partners can get people a copy of this tape, but she says this one thing. She's watching a review, and they've achieved some of these results, and she's seeing the engagement, and she's looking at their scoreboards, and she's, she's in the process. She makes the most interesting statement. She says, in government, she says, if you want to give somebody a... Uh, you know, uh, um, some recognition. If you want to have a party, if you want to do something, everybody's got to bring their own lunch because you can't spend money on stuff like that. She says, we don't have the highest wages. And she's talking about all the things she can't do from an engagement standpoint in government, right? But then she says, (laughs) it's a great quote. She says, I got nothing for you but the work. She says, I got nothing for you but the work. And she says, when you see how engaged these people are. But then you go back and you read Hertzberg. And you read Patrick Lencioni's Three Signs of a Miserable Job. And you read Amabile and Kramer on The Power of Small Wins. And Frederick Hertzberg, right? You read all those people, you know what they all say? It's about the work. It's not what you can give them. Now, so we play this little game with people. And we, um, like, you can do this with a thousand people. And you say, okay, stop. And you say, okay, everybody turn to the person next to you and tell them where you were when you were most lit up in your career, you got 15 seconds. And then the other person has 15 seconds. So everything just gets loud. And each person tells the other person where they were, not at a civic thing, not in family, but where in your work life were you most engaged, were you most lit up? So there's all this noise and it's hard to get them to shut up. Once you get them to shut up, there's, there's, there's a question. And the question is, okay, let's talk about what was not correlated to what you just said. Everybody heard one, everybody said one. So you have a thousand people, it takes some guts. It's worked every time. And the first thing you can tell them is, you may or may not have been making good money. Right. And they all look around like, that's right. About the work. Yeah, and everybody, we all obsess over income. Mine was volunteer position, as I was just thinking about it. Interesting. It no, yeah, no, you were making a it's penny. A full-time volunteer yeah, position. Yeah, it wasn't about work conditions. No, it wasn't no. about benefits package. None. And, and yet, when we think about, oh, we gotta get engaged, oh, well, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to have those. Oh, Hertzberg called them, um, oh, don't lose it, Chris. Um, oh, I lost it. There was a, there was a term that he used. It was like, um, 
hygiene, that was the term. You've got to make sure that the basics are met. So there is some on that area. Here's the other thing you can say to them. You may or may not have liked your boss. You might have hated your boss at that moment. And there's people laughing. And they're like, you're right. I mean, and that's the holy grail. People don't, right? What do we say? People don't quit a, people don't quit a job. They quit a boss. And that's true. But that's turnover. This is engagement. Yeah. They're two different right, topics. Right. And, then, and so anyways, in that moment, and then you say, here's what did happen. And you say, you thought you were making progress. Mm-hmm. And it mattered. And you can get a thousand people to agree. So that little, that little thing is so common to everybody, but it's also sort of invisible. Chris, on that thought, speak to the leader who's focused on getting a business result. Yeah. How does this principle, this, this kind of outcome of engagement relate to them? How do they achieve that? What should they know about it? All right. If I need a result, right, there might be multiple aspects, there might be multiple things sure. that have to happen. Yeah. Some of those things I can buy. We call that stroke of the pen. Explain that concept because that's, that's In not other words, acknowledged to everybody. Yeah, I've got to, we're going to need, we're going to need a marketing partner for this. We're going to need an ad campaign. We're going to need a database. We're going to need a new contact management system. I can buy that stuff. You call that stroke of the pen. Stroke of the pen. Get it done by just signing yeah. it off. Signing, signing it off. Sometimes it. it's a purchase. Sometimes yep. it's a, we got to change the structure. I need internal sales reporting to, yeah. to, to marketing on this right. one, right? I can do those. By my positional authority, that's I can right. make it happen. So I got that lever. So many aspects of what I need, I can get done there. On the other side, there's the day job. There's your existing processes and firefighting and, and a lot of things I can get done just by pointing you know, our existing energy at the problem. But, and here's the point, if I look at this thing and I realize I can't buy this one. If I had the money, I, I mean, if I could, I'd spend the money. I can't buy this. And our existing processes is not gonna get this done. Like when a leader comes, there's components of this result that are immune to my influence as a leader. They're cultural, they're yeah. systemic. They right? have to want it. That's where these rules now apply. Not to everything, this is really key. I am not a fan of leadership by democracy. But you've gotta understand when you're in an area where I gotta create pull on this one. I can't do this with push. Because yeah. if you can do it with push, do it with push on the side. But we repeat but, that. That's an important, I think, yeah. soundbite. There are certain things or certain results when a leader realizes that result is immune to direct influence from me. You call that push. I can't push right. this one. Right. I gotta pull it. Right. Sometimes leaders realize that too late. Oh yeah. Oftentimes. Right. Well, you start to realize it. You've been, you you start to recognize it. You go, I've been here before. Right. I know how this story ends. Right. right. Everybody's nodding their head, yes. But if I'm honest with myself, we really gotta have this result and it ain't gonna happen. And by the way, that is the space that we've realized four disciplines place the best in. Yeah. We don't use four disciplines over here with stroke of the pen. We don't use four yeah. disciplines right. over here on the day right. job. We use it around, right? And what we've learned is that, that, that breakthrough target, teams can handle one of these in addition to their current work. They actually like one. You get greedy, you don't get it. Whirlwind plus one. What does that mean? Day job, the right. whirlwind, right. everything. Can I quote another leader on this one? Yes. All right, Dave Grissom and Marriott. And I just confirmed this with him last week. I've been telling this story. Worry, have you ever told a story and you worried that you changed it in your mind? Oh, never. Right? So I've been telling this story for so long. So I finally, I was finally Explain back. to our audience who Dave Grissom Dave is. Dave Grissom is, is, is the president of America's for Marriott. Right. Okay. 
He's Small been, job. yeah, he's been running four disciplines with a vengeance for 11 years. At Marriott. They're the, they're, the, they're the biggest and probably the best in the world at running this. Yeah. When he's starting his early pilot, so I got this confirmed last week from him. He said, yes, he did say this. He's got a bunch of leaders in the room, and he says to them, I'll, t- I'll let you in on a little secret. He's giving them some insider baseball stuff. He says, I'll let you in on a little secret. About 30 GMs and hotel managers. He says, you want to keep your job at Marriott? Just take care of the day job. Just take care of the whirlwind. We will never, we'll never fire you if you take, just take care of the day job. And they know that's not what this is about. So they're thinking, where's he going with this? And then the other shoe drops. And he says, but if you want to get promoted, give me one. Bring me event satisfaction. Right? Bring event me a, satisfaction. Event satisfaction. Bring me arrival right. experience. Right. Bring me everything in working One order. thing outside of the Yeah, outside of, your, of just sustaining the yes. business. And don't take credit for something after it happened. Like, call your shot yes. and bring that in. Yeah. And I watched That's the electricity advice. in the room right. that said, hey, you don't have to double down on something, on some significant achievement. You can just take care of the, and we'll keep you. But if you want to get promoted, and then they backed it up. So then in the interviews, when a hotel manager would interview for a GM, guess what the first question was? All right, let's hear it. Tell me yeah. about the result you went after. What'd right. you learn? What happened? What'd you do? Yeah. Uh, cross a bridge for me. What yeah. advice would you give perhaps senior leaders that are trying to take the organization in a new direction and there is some anchor? There's like some weight. People don't want to go there. Yeah. They're not excited about it. How does the execution methodology help to build or create a culture where that engagement swings the opposite way? If it had not been for the, our mentor, Jim Stewart, who passed away 11 years ago, I don't know that we would really understand this, but we watched Jim do it. All of us that are familiar with this work have seen this happen. And it's counterintuitive, and I hope I can articulate this. It's not about convincing the organization you've chosen the right direction. Da-na-na. Like, how many leaders obsess over that compelling argument and the burning Repeat platform and clarify and, clarify and, yes. and right. talk them to Convinced, death? Influence and and that's not been our experience. Huh. Right? So there's a picture of meeting where a group of... Where you have a gr- some passion about this. I do, because I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. It took me a long time to understand it. Picture, and we've been in this room a lot of times, where a group of VPs, small group of VPs, is dropping a series of targets down to a big room right. of directors. Right. So you've got this moment where this thing, these hard choices have now been dropped to these directors. Pushing it down. Yeah. And, and, and I watched Jim do this. He was masterful. What he would do is he, the, the, the VPs would explain the position, what the targets were. They would then allow all the directors to ask clarifying questions but not feedback. They would milk every... When you say percentage, is that a percentage at the end of the year or is that a rolling percentage? When you, does that include this? Does that include that? So they'd ask them, by the way, clarifying questions, get rid of most of the feedback. Then, after that was all done, they give feedback. They said, the time is now yours to check, and this is magic, the time is now yours to throw any eggs at this you want to. It's fair game. Challenge anything you want, but remember one thing. The onus is on you to convince us. So it's not about best argument wins, and it ain't a democracy. Those leaders, those VP, they're the ones that have to live with the, they are the ones accountable. You have to, and a lot of times they would. A lot of times they realize, yeah, there's a fourth battle, or there's a key target we're missing, or there's something, and they would change the model based on feedback. A lot of times they wouldn't, and they would say to the group, they would say to the group, we get why you're saying that, we looked at that too, but for this reason, we're not doing that right now. There's this little adage, people have to have their say, but they don't have to have their way, which we know is true because it rhymes. <laughs> but anyways, so they get all the feedback out. You got it? 
Yeah. And, and there's all this, and some people are really mad. Like there's pockets of just intense negative energy in the room. And you're thinking, oh, this isn't going well. This isn't going well at all. And then something magic happens. And I had to see this happen multiple times before I understood what really was going on. All the feedback was out. All the clarifying questions were out. And then they would turn to the directors and they would say, all right, for your function, give us the one target from your function that will contribute to one of these strategic priorities, to one of these targets, right? And, and these targets have to add up and they have to move that. And so all of a sudden, and I don't know where it went, all the negative energy left the room. Mm. And I remember looking at people going, well, why are you and a half an hour ago, you were saying, give me liberty or give me death. You were having a fit. And now you're on board. Like, where did all that negative energy go? And the vibe in the room, the only way I know how to explain this, the vibe in the room is a little like this. It ain't what I would pick. But as long as they're going there, I'm I'll up. help you get there. Right. Yeah. And what happened was, is the minute they asked them for their targets, yeah. see, what they're not doing, let me tell you what they're not doing. They're not saying, oh, because of where we're going, we're going to go in and we're going to make you do this and change. Like, they're not putting their hands on those units. They're creating pull. Yeah. And so once those targets were theirs, and that's, that's what we're talking about. We're saying that sandbox. Those are the targets. That's the pull. Chris, uh, flip the script off the corporate culture into your personal life. I think Clayton Christensen, the famous uh, uh, innovation expert, uh, influential mind, Harvard business professor, prolific author, passed away a week ago. He wrote a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? Yep. It's one of the most profound books on taking I business principles yep. and applying them in your personal life. If you haven't yeah. read How Will You Measure Your Life, you have to go buy the book. It's yeah. prophetic. Similarly, these execution principles apply in our personal lives and our families. Give us some illustration of that. This one's easy. This had, a, this had an impact on me and my wife. Tell us. All right. I got seven kids. As some of your viewers know, some don't. Um, I should say my wife. I can't even repeat it. My <laughs> wife and I have seven children. We did with kids what we tell people not to do with goals. We just yeah, kept going. That's right. You right. over gold. We over gold. <laughs> you over kidding. But I saw a picture of your family on Facebook yesterday. You were like... And in front of your home and then in a tree. But there was more than seven, so it must be some spouses. Son-in-laws, yeah. Son -in -laws. I got two okay. really good ones. Yes, I thought, oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Yeah, that was, right. that was really two great. Two of your seven are married. Two of my seven are married. Yeah, great. So yeah, there's 11 of us all together now with my wife and I. All right. Of the kids, uh, the youngest is 10. The rest are either teenagers or have been teenagers. And if you have teenagers, and you're going to experience this not too long, Scott, Everybody that's had teenagers. I don't. I won't make it because my five-year-old is going to give me a stroke. I don't think I'll make it into teenagers. I've seen just, videos of your kids. Yes, this is going to be very interesting. <laughs> yes. If you have teenagers, you have drama. You can spend a lot of time as a parent dealing with the drama, and you will. But no matter how much you deal with the drama, you will always have drama. Yep. My wife and I got very clear about 10 years ago, about the same time we started to make this observation, that there was a more important priority than managing the drama. And the priority was, is there something in this child's life where they're winning and it matters? Yes. And everything, everything else is noise. Yes. And it, with Sarah, with Tabitha, with Ben, is there one, can we, can we water that flower? Can we create the conditions? Can we, what do we have to do so that there's one area? And if, there, if a child, and we're no different now, if there's one place in your life where I'm winning, 
and it matters. I agree, crucial. Everything lines up. I yeah. think it, I think it's yeah. one of the best parenting tips yeah. that, that you could find. And mostly, yeah. and I, well, the thing that's really frustrating about this is how few people really understand the biggest driver of engagement. I, I can share a personal story. A few weeks ago, one of my friends got married in our church in Park City, Utah. We're Catholic, as you know, and my oldest son is an altar server, and he'd never served mass on his own. He's usually one of like three yeah, people yeah, serving yeah, yeah, it, yeah. but he was the only altar server, and he crushed it, just in terms of his uh, reverence yeah. and his humility and following the process, right. and, and he was just beaming. And I blogged about this because I realized, oh my gosh, Thatcher is so proud. And I think sometimes in cultures, professional and personal, we tend to be a, a, afraid of being proud or that pride is a bad thing. I think with kids and with adults, it's important to be proud for a moment. And there's, there's a level of leadership that says, well, yeah. you shouldn't peacock. Well, there's a difference between peacocking and just being proud and what it does to your own self-esteem and to your engagement yeah. and choosing to choose a high level of engagement. Yeah. My, that, my son Thatcher lived this principle exactly a month ago. Yep. And yep. we noticed it. And after dinner, after the wedding, he was so proud. He kept saying, hey, Dad, did you see me? And, and I posted on Facebook because I wanted to show him, I am so proud of you being proud. Yeah, and I think, so I want to play off that if I can. There's two things that we knew were going on in this dynamic. One was, is it a winnable game? Yes. The other was, is it a high-stakes game? If you don't acknowledge it, it won't feel like it was a high-stakes yes. game. Yes, yes. And leaders, he kept bringing it up to us. He's not that kind of kid. Right. He's not self-aggrandizing or absorbed. He kept coming back up to us at dinner saying, Dad, did you see what I did? And we realized, wow, this is important to him. So we had to keep validating it. Jim Hewling, um, the co-author. co-author and my personal mentor, um, is so good at really looking at cultures for whether there is informal recognition. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest things, like, because you can put processes in place and you can acknowledge people and we should, but what Jim always looks for is, is their informal recognition that's letting people know. Um, and, you know, go back to the power of small wins. Yeah. But, but when you catch a kid having a moment like that, bank that thing. You know, it's, log an, it's that. an important balance because you and I both know, I've worked here in this firm for 24 years, you nearly 30 years. Right. We love this place. And we also know that at Franklin Covey, we have a bit of a culture where we don't peacock, where we don't celebrate enough because we have a culture where it looks like we're promoting ourselves. But I think there's this fine balance, is there not, between not being so um, self-aggrandizing, but not taking the opposite point of view where we don't celebrate the wins. I think it's an important balance for all leaders to realize the importance of that. Yeah. Recognizing small wins. I think there's some superstition that plays into this as Mm. well. I think there's this feeling that says, well, if we start celebrating right now before we're done. You rest on your laurels and you plant the flag too soon. Yeah, we don't want to celebrate too soon. We don't want to claim victory too early. Or the goal was too easy if you accomplished it. Right. I'll tell you. fuel demotivating. Fuel the fire. Water what you want to have grow. Right. When when you find your kid really having a moment like that, make a big deal out of it. Jeez. Let's let's end. Uh, you're writing a book. Now you're actually refreshing a book, and I'd like you to talk it about. It feels this. like we're writing a book because the Execution yeah. has sold six hundred thousand copies. Yep. Simon Schuster, who's yep. your publisher, has been begging for you to re-release the book for three or four years. You right. kept saying, "No, no, no. We're not ready yet. We're learning. We're speaking. We're researching. We're absorbing." Right. Tell us what's on the horizon. Yeah. So, the ten-year anniversary. Yeah. Is what really by so by the time the yeah. book publishes, right. it will be able to say we this think is March of 2021. 2021, right? right? And and what we're really doing here is 
we're tweaking so many things we wish we could have altered a little bit if we could go back in time. Yeah. Because it's not that anything is wrong, it's that sometimes people take certain things that we said in a way, like we didn't get multiple chances to do this. We wrote the book, it was our best sure. shot, we yeah. went out and we realized, ooh, sometimes they think this when we didn't mean that. Right. Sometimes they think all the wigs need to be going to right. one centralized well, here's wig. Here's what we're calling this now, and this, yes. this tends to work well. Yes, now the other thing yeah. that happened was when the original book was written, and Jim was really smart about this, we focused on a frontline leader. I think it's part of the popularity of the book yeah. because we really give the rules for execution at the front line. The problem is those rules are not the same rules for leaders of leaders and yes. organizational right. leaders. And we cover that stuff in the third section. The problem was by the time leaders of leaders got to the third section, they'd already sort of had an imprint. And so they're trying to sometimes run the process like a frontline leader would, and it creates some sparks. So there's just some things we're gonna do differently with, with call outs and examples. Um, we've also gone further into various industries. So healthcare, yeah, manufacturing. Right. Right, there'll be a section on that. It's a substantial refresh. I mean, this is a oh. book that people who have already we read the book. We almost gave it book, a new name. We did. In fact, the CEO and you have been in yeah. agreement that we also want new readers, but we think people who've read the book in its current format will enjoy coming back and reading the yeah. refresh because all the new insights. Here's the biggest one. I can't believe I didn't say this first. They don't read this book like they read business books. They do this. So like a guidebook. Yeah, we, right, yeah. we built it like a guidebook, but honestly, we didn't really, we thought everybody, I mean, we thought everybody would treat it the way you treat a business book. You know, log it, pick the ideas you like, and go on. And we can't tell you how many people we meet, they're like, oh, well, they don't say we read Four Disciplines. We they did. say, we're doing we're Four doing Disciplines. It, yeah. We're a 4DX company. Yeah. And like, we didn't know, like, we, we wouldn't even imagine that it would be that kind of book, but yeah, it really has yeah. been. So that changes what we do in the second book. So too. Chris, speak to that, because this will sound self-serving, but I want you to give your honest opinion. Uh, the 600,000 people who've read this book, right? Some large number have engaged Franklin Covey to come in and transform their culture, transform their engagement, transform their results. And there's also some large percent of leaders that have bought the book, they've tried to implement it themselves and they've failed. And then they call you to come implement. Yeah. What advice would you give the leader at any level that's buying the book today, that's reading it right now, that's trying to attempt to implement it? Yeah. Be, save them the lesson yeah. that the other 500,000 learned. <laughs> how, how do they that's engage you question. to actually yeah. let us help them? I've actually got eight of these in my mind right now based on what we've been experiencing in the marketplace. Yeah. When we, look, when we look at that. Let me Save the person six months yeah, from yeah, stubbing yeah. their toes. So here's the first caveat. Any leader applying it to their team can do really well with this. Where it gets sticky is when you're doing it more systemically and not every leader is as bought into you as you yeah, are at the right. beginning. That's where the- You and your team might work individually, but if you're trying very to good. build a Once cultural- you're, Yeah, well you're a leader of leaders. Yeah. Here's the big one. If you're struggling, and, the, and every, every user will know what I mean when I say this. If you're struggling with discipline two, which is the lead measure, like the number one thing you hear, lead measures are hard. Hmm. Like we get that. And what that means is either I'm moving the lever, but the rock's not moving, or I can't move the lever. That's the perfect way to look at it. It's only one of those two things. When you're stuck at discipline two, go back and look at discipline one. Maybe you gotta break that rock down a little bit more, right? So in other words, we have a wildly important goal for new accounts and the lever isn't working, right? We have this lever for, 
first appointments. And, and, and 5% of the sales force can get first appointments, but the other 95% can't move that lever. So we do cold calls and we, and we get a lever that's way out here and everybody can do cold calls, but the pole's bending and the rock's not moving. So now we're moving the lever, but the rock's not moving. And that point they go, first appointments didn't work. Cold calling didn't work. This lead measure stuff's harder than I thought. Yeah. Go back and look at the rock and say, oh, okay, first we want new accounts. Maybe the rock should be that thing that we were trying. To, maybe the rock should be first appointments. It's a smaller rock. Maybe that's, the, we were trying it as a lead measure. Maybe we take the goal down a little bit smaller. I can't tell you how help, break the goal down a little bit more. They think, oh, we're done with discipline one, we're on to discipline two. If discipline two's not working, go back. Yeah. And then here's the, and then, so maybe there is a lever that's, hey, referral leads, and that's moving the rock, and now we're back to a winnable game. But here's, and, and, and the last piece of, I know you said one, but it's related. Intent counts more than technique. And so it's go, let's go back to everything we've been talking about. If your intent in doing this is, am I creating a winnable game? And is it a high stakes game? You'll get most of the technique right automatically if you keep your intent on those two components. Yeah. Well said, well said. Chris, final minute. You got a lot going on. You are with your co-authors refreshing this book and rewriting it to launch, we think in, I believe it's March of 2021. You're speaking around the world. You're writing articles. You've recently been invited to be a weekly columnist for Forbes magazine. I know you're still struggling with, is that the yeah, best, it's best leverage of your yeah. time? But you also are primarily Franklin Covey's key thought leader and spokesperson, keynote speaker. We've talked before when organizations or companies bring you in, and they do multiple times a week around the world. I, I'm guessing Delta has their own status for you now beyond that special black card thing they do, whatever that is. No, it does. Um, I want it. I, I, know want there, it I know there's something out there. I don't know what I know. It's, it's like a mystery. It's way beyond uh, uh, Diamond. I don't yeah, know what it either yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. They, have, uh, they have not blessed me with that when, a, when an organization is thinking about you as a keynote speaker, yeah. revisit your sweet spot. Because I thought it was interesting last time we talked around, they don't bring you in necessarily at the beginning or the end. When do they bring you in? Yeah. So it's, and, and I love this because I always get the chance to visit with the CEO. So some of these organizations are diehard 40X users right. and they want a booster shot. Icing on the cake. Yeah, they want it, they want to they get the group you know back and engaged with this. So that's a that's an audience. But the bigger audience are people that are new to this. They think they 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 like what they see. They read the book. Yeah. They and have they, a conference coming they up. They kind of want to see how the rest of the organization will react to it. Yes. You're right. a trial balloon. Right. Yeah, it's a little bit of a trial balloon cuz they want to know that if they do this it's going to go over well, yeah. right? But that, but the, but that's the secondary. The primary thing is they just want to boost around the principles of execution as they're launching all their new stuff for that year. So there's always there's always a new focus, there's always a new product, there's always Every one of these conferences has new strategic elements. Yeah. People love ending on an execution theme. So you're the cleanup guy. Yeah, bat, yeah. we bat, we love, we do it front end sometimes, but more often we bat cleanup. And what they want is, they want to give people, you know, a handful of really practical things they can walk away with and say, you know what, I can execute on this. Yeah, what's your sweet spot? 90 minutes, what, 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 what's? I like 90 minutes to two hours, and I don't yeah. always get it. Yeah. But we know how to keep a large audience very engaged because of the nature of what it is. 
no correlation to your energy, I'm sure. No. Is, is it best if, a, if an organization is thinking about bringing you in as a keynote to have the audience have read the book beforehand, give the book out during? They, they you know what, they, they, they'll sometimes give the book out beforehand, but you never get much of a, you never get Adoption. much of a hit with that. Yeah. We've got yeah. a great little five minute video that's very popular for that. Just so people have some idea, they can start, start thinking about it before they go in there, yeah. so it's not hitting them cold. And then a lot of times they'll have the book when, when, yeah. when we're there. Chris, I'm excited to have you back on, not just when the book launches next March, but I'll bet you in the next six or eight months, you'll have learned some more things that you'll want to share with our Thanks, audience. Scott. I appreciate you. Thanks, Thanks so Chris much. I love this. This is always fun. Uh, pick up the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, number one Wall Street Journal bestseller, 600,000 copies. And we'll see you back here again next week for a new guest on Franklin Covey's On Leadership.